Welcome to the pursuit of well-being. My name's Maria Brosnan and I'm an educational well-being specialist and your host for this show. Here on the podcast, I'll be speaking with leading figures in education about the issues affecting schools and teachers today. We'll share tools and practical ideas to help you thrive, not just survive, as an educator. My guest today is Jeremy Crook. Jeremy's been working in primary schools since 1984. After almost 20 years of headship, he now lectures in initial teacher training and works as a consultant in primary schools in the east of England. He also works as a STEM consultant in Jiangsu province in China. Apart from being involved in education, which he still finds fascinating and exciting despite the endless ill-informed government interference, (laughs) he's a very keen sportsman, playing and coaching when his arthritic joints allow. I promise you these are his words, not mine. (laughs) They're not, they're yours. (laughs) He loves music, he plays in an ageing rock band and has written a number of musicals for schools and is a passionate advocate for the environment, spending much of his spare time campaigning for a more sustainable society. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, how are you? (laughs) I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm good, apart from my arthritic joints. (laughs) Well, I hope they're comfortable enough for the next half hour or so. Of course, of course. (laughs) Excellent. Well, the topic of our conversation today is teaching assistance and support staff in general. And many of our listeners will know, but I work with senior leadership teams doing training with them. And a lot of the conversations we have, I'd say between 25 and 30% of our conversations are around support staff and the challenges that they're having with support staff, which always surprises me. I don't know why. And also the second part to this question is one of my friends is a deputy head and I was talking to him during the kind of midst of the crisis last year and I said, what's the single biggest thing affecting you right now? And he said, teaching assistance. So I wanted to bring you on, Jeremy, because I want to know why and I want to know what people can do. It's such a common concern for people, but I know you have an incredibly positive and compassionate and insightful way of talking about support staff and teaching assistants. So what do you think is going on in the schools where this is such a challenge? I'm astonished. Are you? When you when you tell me it's 30% of mm. the conversations you have mm. because I love teaching assistants. <laughs> I you know, yeah. I, almost more than life itself I love teaching assistants because they're, they're, they're the glue that holds the school together very often. They're the oil that makes it work, that lubricate the school, you know? They're, yeah. uh, so, so I'm amazed by this. And if I was going to just rashly generalise my feelings for why schools have problems, it's because they don't communicate with them properly and they don't have an open, formal and informal way of talking to them as professionals because that really has been at the heart of every interaction I've ever had with a teaching assistant. And and the schools might well listen to me saying this and say, how dare you? It's outrageous that you suggest that. We are the ultimate professional organisation. But if you are, I don't see how you get problems with staffing generally, um, other than the ones who would be a problem anywhere. But as a body a teaching assistant body, mm. body of teachers. I, I, I really don't understand how they become 
so problematic that they take up 30% of your conversations mm. and not knowing these schools at all, of course. So sorry, schools, if what I say <laughs> here offends you because it doesn't apply to you at all. But if you're having problems with your teaching assistants, my guess is you don't treat them professionally enough and have proper professional discussions with them so that you find out what, what their motivations are you ensure they understand their position in your organization and how important they are. And if you don't have those conversations, I, I was speaking to a teaching assistant the other day, actually, who used to be a teaching assistant at the last school I was head teacher at. And she said, lots of people don't recognize what I do. What I do happens without any recognition. And, and I think right at the heart of this is to respect them as professionals. Mm -hmm. And that means you have high expectations of them as professionals, but equally they can have very high expectations of you as, as the employer to do a great job for them. So let's see if we can break that down a bit then, Jeremy, in terms of communication and in terms of formal and informal ways of talking to them as professionals. So let's even break down that word professionals. Where do you think that misunderstanding is? I, I think right at the heart of it, and I'll diversify slightly, my middays and my cleaners in my school, I used to say to them, your job is as important as mine. Mm. And they'd say, no, it isn't. Of course it isn't. And I'd say, no, of course it is. Because if I don't have you, the school shuts if I don't have a clean school and, you know, given where we've been with COVID, if you don't do a really effective job of cleaning the school, the school doesn't open. So, of course, your job is as important as mine. What's different is we have vastly different responsibilities. So, so you have to start from a position of saying, if I want teaching assistants, I want them because they do a great job in terms of supporting the core purpose of the school, which is getting children to be great learners, of course. That's the core purpose of any school. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I have to make clear to teaching assistants, one, the importance of their role. Two, I need to train them and support them and help them to do it really effectively. Three, I have to hold them to account to what I've said. Here's a really daft anecdote, if you like, but but we had one of the things we said to our teaching assistants, we, we did non-negotiables. How tedious is that term? But it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it, isn't it? So it doesn't matter what you call it, you could call it anything. But we called it non-negotiables because it was funky at that time to say <laughs> non-negotiables, we've got our non-negotiables. Anyway, one of them was you do not sit behind the children in whole class sessions. So the children are all sitting in the carpet talk, you know, having discussions with the teachers about the work that's coming up. And, and I'd often, because, you know, carpet space is precious and there wasn't a lot of room, but I'd go in and I'd see the teaching assistant sitting behind the children. So we had a meeting and we said, why is that a bad position for a teaching assistant? We can't make eye contact. We can't influence the learning of the children. We can't easily support those children who aren't quite following the general class discussion. And therefore, you've got to be in front of the children. Is that okay, everyone? Yeah, we totally get it. We totally understand. That's what we've got to do. I said, right, that's fine then. I said, but I'll be coming round to check. If I find anyone sitting behind the class, I'm going to sack you. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> which of course was a flippant throwaway remark, but I wanted them to understand how important it was. <laughs> so I went into a class one day and Sue, lovely Sue, who was a wonderful, wonderful, caring, nurturing, intelligent teaching assistant, was sitting behind the autistic boys she supported. And he was agitated and she couldn't, he didn't like making eye contact anyway, but she certainly couldn't make it looking at the back of his head. And to get his attention, she put her arm on it, hand on his shoulder. Well, he didn't like being touched. So then he got more agitated and, and the whole thing became very difficult to manage. And I said, Sue, can you come and see me after, after the lesson? And she said, are you going to sack me? I said, I'm going to think about it. <laughs> Anyway, she came and she knew I wasn't going to sack her, of course, but uh, she came and told me, I said, why were you sitting there? We agreed, didn't we, that you, that what that's the wrong place. She said, there's no room on the carpet. Because there's no room, that was the only space for me. I said, right, so whose fault's that? And she said, well, it's mine, I suppose, but it's also the teachers. I said, exactly, it's a shared responsibility. The teachers know what the rules are. You know what the rules are. So if you can't do it, you have to sort it out between you. You are professionals. You are experienced professionals. It doesn't need me to come and say, okay, we're going to have to move this desk. I said, come on, do you want to be treated like a professional or do you want me to just tell you what to do? Mm. No, I want to be treated like a professional. I said, that's good because you're a very good professional. Mm but then you've got to act professionally. And when there's a problem, you sort it out immediately because otherwise it impacts on the children. And so I went and saw the teacher. I said, why is that happening? And she said, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I said, well, don't be sorry. Just sort it out. <laughs> just sort it out. So, so that's just a, a little easy illustration. We agreed best practice for teaching assistants. What's the best thing? And we had this, I don't know, there was about 10 or 12 things we said and we'd broken it up into, at the start of the lesson, you'll do these things. In the independent learning, you'll do these things. At the end of the lesson, you'll do these things. Now, this wasn't a robotic list that you had to work your way through. These were general principles for how to maximize learning. And we trained the TAs because, again, training, how much training do they get? I'm rambling a bit now, but I've got so many things to say. Just go, yeah. If you're happy for me to ramble. So so what happened? When I went to my last school, we were in the bottom 5% in the country as a head teacher, bottom 5% uh, for slightly below average intake. So we were performing academically disastrously. Behaviour was pretty poor. Teaching was pretty poor. Teaching assistants milled about as far as I could see. They worked hard. Everybody worked hard. Mm -hmm. but there was no direction to their work. They, they thought that working hard was okay. That was what you did. But the fact that the work was pitched way below what the children were capable of, the fact that there was no structure to the way anyone worked, no math scheme, for example. Mm. And I, I remember saying to the deputy head, why have we not got a math scheme? She said, well, everyone likes planning their own. I said, I haven't got a problem with that. Is every teacher in the school an expert maths teacher? And she said, no. And my deputy was brilliant. She said, this is this school's not going well, but I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I said, that's all right. That's why they've appointed me. I'm not sure I know what to do either, but we'll work <laughs> it out together. Um, I said, why is there no math scheme? And, and, and she said, well, I don't know. I said, so right, think of the worst maths teacher in the school. And she said, yeah, I'm thinking of her. I said, what does she do? How does she know where to pitch the work? Let's go really simple. 
She's got a year three class. How does she know where to pitch year three work if she's just making it up herself? How does she know the progression in maths if she doesn't know much about maths? So how does she extend learning? How does she scaffold learning for those children who don't understand maths very well? She said, no, that's a really good point. I'd never thought of it like that. So I said, when we, when we look at learning, usually when I was a teacher, I planned, I found the highest attaining pupil in whatever I was going to teach, and I made sure I knew more than that pupil so that in every lesson I could extend their learning. But, but with teachers, when you're, when you're in a leadership, you find the lowest performing teacher and you say, is that teacher supported enough in this aspect of teaching to perform well enough? And that's what you do with teaching assistants, isn't it? You look at the body of teaching assistants. You say, where are the strengths? Where are the weaknesses? Where are the problems? Where are the positives? And, and so you look at the, the body as a whole, and then you identify individuals. And then you say, so how are we going to support each individual to become better? Non-negotiables. Do they actually understand their role enough? Mm. Do they understand it enough to be effective every minute of every day in the classroom? Because if they don't understand it enough, how can they possibly be expected to deliver the sort of support for learning that you want? It's just crackers. So we used to, we used to have regular staff meetings where the teaching assistants came along. If they were important aspects, then we paid them, of course, because they get paid by the hour, don't they, teaching assistants? Mm. So... We paid them extra to stay to, to staff meetings when we were doing some particular bit of learning development. And, and we also gave them a weekly meeting with the special needs coordinator as their line manager. And I appointed a head TA who became part of the leadership team. Mm. So, so the head TA was in the weekly leadership team meetings, giving the perspective of the teaching assistants they had a weekly meeting with the special needs coordinator, which was fantastically amusing when we set it up because the Senko said to me, all they come in and do is moan. Mm. I said, great, what are they moaning about? I said, we want to know what they're moaning about because then we can address what they're moaning about. And so I said, I'll come to next week's meeting and, uh, and they can moan at me, which will be fine. So I went into the meeting and I said, now, Last week, I heard you all moaned all the time. I said, which is great. I love moaning because it means we're about to improve something because that's what development is. <laughs> if you moan, that's a, a development, isn't it? I said, so the only rule about moaning is, is that if you moan about something, you've got an idea for a better way of doing something. I said, because then we're, we're constantly improving what we're doing. So I don't mind at all you moaning, but... This is a common line I used to use because I said, but if you haven't got an idea for how to make it better, I'm going to sack you because then you're demoralizing people. Then you're making everyone feel bad. You're just dropping the mood of the school and it's not okay to drop the mood of the school. If you're, if you're saying this isn't working, why don't we do this? Then, then I'm going to promote you because that means you're driving school improvement. And that's going to make me so happy. And it will make you happy because you'll know that you're making a massive contribution to the school. So by having that meeting, we, we gave them a forum to moan. 
but actually it wasn't a forum for moaning. It was a forum for school development because if they came with a moan, they had to have a better idea. And this TA I was talking to the other day said to me, she said, what we loved about having you as the head teacher, we knew you'd listen to what we'd say. We knew you'd think about it seriously, but we also knew you wouldn't necessarily do it if you didn't think it was a good idea, but you would explain to us why it wasn't going to be implemented as part of school policy. Mm. So that comes right back to where I started about communication. Completely, because then... When people understand the rationale for decisions and they're involved in the decision-making process, then then that's how you get cooperation. Uh, the two the two things I, I think I did that made the most difference of all, yeah. threatening to sack them works. <laughs> that's really powerful, but but you can only do that once they trust you and once they know actually that you don't mean it, but it shows how important what they're doing is. So I used to use that. I only used it two or three times, actually, and I've given you two of them already. But <laughs> um, but the two most important things I did, weekly meeting for TAs with the Senko, where the agenda was improving the impact of the teaching assistants and put in the head TA, Yvette. Yvette, I love you if you're listening to this. <laughs> She's retired. She's retired this term. I'm going to her retirement tea on Sunday. Oh, wow. And, um, wow. But she was just such a force for good. Always go the extra mile, always sort out problems, always address any issues, never duck anything, never, never just forget to do something. And so getting her on the senior leadership team was massively powerful and and it and it sent a, a terribly important message to the TAs of course that you're being heard mm. there's a status to your job it really matters it's so important one of the member of the SLT is a teaching assistant I've never heard that Jeremy have you have you heard of that in any other school well I don't know because I'm I'm not like I, I mean I go into other schools but I don't really sit with leadership teams in their formal leader, you know, I, I sit with head teachers and deputy heads and phase leaders and that sort of thing, rather than I do one of the schools I work with in Walthamstow, a regular part of my work there is training TAs. Mm. She she places great store by it. Mm. I go and coach the TAs in class. I model TA behaviour. I model how they should interact with children and questioning and scaffolding and so they're supporting learning rather than taking over the child's learning. So that school, I think, is a is a model school of best practice in terms of providing time for TAs to develop their expertise. But but the head is is like me, nicely ruthless. You know, <laughs> but but you've got to do the job if you want to be treated professionally. You've got to act professionally, and professional means if you moan, you have a solution. It doesn't mean it's okay to moan. Um, when I went to this school, this last school I was head at, there used to be little pockets of people whinging about me because, of course, I went in and we were bottom 5% in the country. Mm. Well, just not good enough. And, and, and so we changed quite a lot of things quite quickly. And uh, I, my lovely finance manager went into the staff room after three weeks, me being there, and said, this bloke's a wrong and we've got to get rid of him. <laughs> And uh, and three months later, we were best mates, and she could see the value of everything we were doing, and yeah. and quite a few staff left. But you know, 
they loved the previous head and I'm sure he had many qualities, but getting high academic standards wasn't one of them. Mm. And, and I came in demanding. Yeah, I'm not very demanding, really. I, I, I just like to be honest with people and straight talking. And, and so I, I remember saying to the teachers, I don't care how bad you are, as long as you get a bit better every day. Because if you get a bit better every day, by the end of this term, you're going to be a good teacher. Because being a good teacher is not difficult. Being a brilliant teacher is unbelievably difficult. But being an effective teacher where children learn something in a lesson every day, that's not too difficult. Mm. Um, as long as you're well supported by, by the school and by the leaders in the school. Mm. One of the teachers saying te in the school, absolutely outstanding teacher after a year. I used to watch her lessons. I say, it's good, but learning-wise, this needs to improve, this needs to improve, this needs to improve. If you want, you know, if you want to be judged an outstanding teacher, we've got to have outstanding learning. And I said, at the moment, you've got good learning. So I can see you've got the potential to be outstanding. And she said, well, I was always told I was outstanding. Hmm. I said, well, that's fine. I said, but from my experience, you're not. <laughs> so, so... I'll tell you what you need to do. And, and this one teacher, terribly driven, terribly good. And she said, come back next week, I'll show you. Mm. And by the next week, it was an outstanding lesson mm. because she, I mean, she had all the potential to be outstanding. If you're open and honest, then that makes all these conversations easier, doesn't it? It does. And that's, does. And that's why I put them on the leadership team. Yvette, go and tell the teaching assistants what we've discussed here. We're unhappy with the teaching assistants for this reason. Go and tell them. Mm. Have a conversation. I'll come to the next meeting if you want. Da, 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 da. But it's your responsibility. Mm. And, and then it's not, it's not all in the head teacher's hands because we're a community who work really hard together to get the very best for our children. And how did you find that, um, Jeremy, with Yvette going back and doing that leadership work with the TAs how did they respond to that well the first time irritated is probably the truth mm. but but I said to Yvette and Yvette said to them because she was unbelievably level-headed and thoughtful and intelligent and all those things mm. she said well you know if you want a voice you can have a voice but the voice goes two ways it's not mm. one way it's not it's not we moan and and everyone else puts up with it we have a conversation about how to develop the role, the school, how you operate. We, we did a thing where I asked them all to choose a specialism mm. so, so that we had TAs who were specialists with autistic children, not specialists in the way an autistic specialist would be, but we sent them on courses and they, and they were interested in, you know, the, the numbers of autistic children. And we had several quite, extreme autistic children you know then uh, you've got it it's no good saying well you're the one-to-one -one ta but you don't know anything about autism is it you know because they're just setting them up to have a difficult time then mm. so we had different people did different things and um i found that very useful and and, and again it raised their status yeah. when people said who's the expert in this and we'd say oh go and talk to ellen she's very good at that Mm. go and talk to Maggie she's very good at that and and then again raises their status again doesn't it mm. we did I remember once we did as well because you need status their status with children don't you so I wrote a song about the TAs and I had them all in assembly 
and uh, it was set to Joseph and his brothers, you know. <laughs> there was Maggie and Ellen and Jane and Sarah and Sue and Dave and Sue. <laughs> and we did that. And uh, But it was done, of course, to, um, to give them status and, and yeah. to talk about their value to the school and, and how hard they worked and and what they did really well. And why do you think, why do you think Mrs. Baker's there in class? Why do you think that? Because uh, she likes us and she's nice. No, <laughs> that's only a tiny bit of it. <laughs> when she says this to you, what do you think? What, you know, and, and so again, it's, it's like you educate the children, but what that does is that raises the status of the teaching assistant, doesn't it? Mm. And, and we did the same with other important people in the school. And, and it's why I come back again, communication. Everyone has to know that the teaching assistants are really important. They do a really important job. It's hard work, but, but we support them to do it. So, so we gave them all the chance to do an MVQ. So every, every teaching assistant had an MVQ Level 2 qualification. And for people who are listening from other parts of the world that might not know what NVQ is. The National Vocational Qualification. So it's a national qualification, which you can get in all sorts of things. Mm. But, but there's qualifications for teaching assistants where they go off for about a couple of terms, I think it used to take. And they used to go to college and they used to have assignments. Mm. And then they used to do various bits of work in school. And once they'd completed it all, they got this qualification. So that just seemed, again, a, a way of valuing them to say you're important to the school. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Makes And it, and it leads back to what you were saying about um, uh, formal and informal uh, professionalising, you know, the professional conversations and, and treating them as professionals. Jeremy, we're just about out of time. That How just... can we be? I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one other thing. We did this was this because they still they still mention it to me when I see them, and it might well come up on Sunday. We might even do it. We used to have a Friday morning meeting before school with every all staff just to say the diary for next week, any questions, anything not. And we had a big board which mapped out, you know, all the things that were happening, so everyone knew where everyone was and who was in and who was out and da 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 And from time to time, I'd say to them, right, everyone stand up now, please, in a circle. I'd say, right now, we're all going to hold hands because we love each other and we care for each other and we support each other. And they'd say, are you serious? And I'd say, yeah, I'm serious. Stand up and, uh, and let's hold hands because we're a team. And I just want to say I really value what you do and love having you working here and and they'd walk out saying he's bonkers that bloke isn't he? he's weird yeah he, uh, well at least he wasn't holding my hand or whatever you know <laughs> so uh well it's things like that isn't it isn't it surely it is because you've got i used to say to the children we love you and the year six boys of course will go Ugh. i say well if we do love you i don't love i don't want to marry you i love you as i love my children, as I love my family, we're a family here. So we care for each other. We look after each other, all of us, all the time. There's never a moment. And, you know, that's the message in it for the teaching assistants as well. We care for you. But, but there's a responsibility. You've got to do a great job. It's not, it's not just care for the, you know, the previous head cared for them greatly. But 
but they weren't as skilled as they needed to be to do a great job. Oh, Jeremy, that feels like a really great place to to wrap up. Um, before we do that, you are launching a podcast yourself. Tell us I am. about that. What's it called? Oh, the, the pain of that. <laughs> it's called What I Wish I Knew as an NQT. <laughs> I love it. I've I've heard I've heard your uh, inaugural podcast and it's fantastic as you'd imagine. Very it's, uh, so it, it's it'll be great, I think. But it's just teachers chatting to teachers about things they learnt early in their career. So it's just a very relaxed chat, nothing more, nothing oh. academic about it. Lovely. Well, we'll I'll put a link in the show notes where people can find that. And um, I've been speaking with Jeremy Crook. You can find Jeremy on Twitter. And I think we need to talk about Twitter as well. (laughs) 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 So currently, I just checked before I came on, and Jeremy's Twitter handle is at WhatNQT. And Jeremy, you've got five followers and zero following. What's going on with Twitter? Uh, Yeah, I must learn how to use it. (laughs) You told me I had to have it. So... uh, (laughs) I doubt I told you you had to have it. I might have suggested. No, I think you told me. I think you did a sort of headmistress type instruction. um, And and so I've got it. And this week I'm going to learn how to use it and I'm going to start putting messages on it. Now I've I've published my first podcast. I guess I ought to... uh, Yes. Well, I should add that Jeremy and I are buddies. We've known each other for many years. I saw Jeremy speaking at a very glamorous event. Do you remember at the Kensington Roof Garden? I do, on that roof garden place. Oh, God, that was many years ago. But, um, but yeah, we've been friends ever since. So that's why I might have suggested a Twitter (laughs) account. You gently suggested it. (laughs) Anyway, you can connect with Jeremy on Twitter at WhatNQT. Uh, Jeremy's email is jnc.edu at gmail.com and um, LinkedIn. Are you Jez Crook on LinkedIn? I might be. I don't know. I'm not very I'm not very good at consistency <laughs> across platforms. But I think I am Jez Crook probably because everyone calls me Jez. No one calls me Jeremy. I know. I was being quite formal calling you Jeremy today. No, it was very nice. I appreciated it. My dad used to call me that when I was in trouble. Oh, God. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy, come here. Oh, blimey. This is a right old Welsh miners telling off, <laughs> even though he was an opera singer. <laughs> I Oh, we could talk all day, but we'll leave it there, Jeremy. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Been a pleasure, Maria, as ever. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to access tools and support to help you manage daily school pressures, stresses or anxiety, head to our website, pursuitwellbeing.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. 